Just a few announcements today. Hello, good morning. Sorry, I'm going to move this real quick. Um, we just have one youth announcement. It is coming down to Christmas. And we're going to have our Christmas party for the youth, 6th through 12th graders, this Wednesday from 6 to 8. We'll be here at the well, so we're not going to have normal youth group. Um, so we're going to have lots of fun. We may turn this into a, a winter wonderland with some AC. I know it's not normal for uh, that in the wintertime, but, you know, youth do crazy things. Um, and so do the youth leaders. So uh, if you haven't signed up yet, you can you know, come to me. A lot have signed up already. You can also sign up online uh, on our website. Go to the events page. You'll see it there. Um, and I encourage you, you know, students, invite friends. Uh, it's a great opportunity for them to come and just have a really good community. You know, we have that here uh, on Sundays and during the week. And it's also great for students uh, in the Valley to have that as well. So look forward to that this Wednesday. Um, and just another reminder, we won't be meeting for youth uh, two weeks after that, so we'll meet again in the new year, I think on the 10th. Um, but, so we'll have a nice two-week break, um, and we'll see you all in the new year after our Christmas party. Thank you. Okay, and then last week we shared about um, the Rhodes family in Capswar, Kenya, and that we are supporting them by providing some items off of an Amazon wish list that they have created. Um, and I just want to thank many of you who have already donated. It's been amazing. Um, I know Layla is so thankful. It's been awesome. We've gotten things um, sent to our house, and there are items in the commons. So we just want to thank you so much. Um, and if you still want to donate, you can scan the QR codes to see their Christmas lists, or you can go on our website, and there's a link there. Um, and if you just want to bring items by next Sunday, that'd be awesome. So thank you again. All right. And finally, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, all right? And uh, we're going to have one service, 10 a.m., so this service. And uh, we have printed. Kim did a great job. She made some flyers. Uh, if you want to, you know, sometimes it's a great opportunity to invite people. Uh, you know, there are uh, a good amount of people that will come out to a Christmas Eve service. And so if you would like to take some of these and hand them out to family and friends this week, that would be great. Uh, parents, we just want to let you know, uh, your kids are going to be in here. Uh, there will be no uh, Kingdom Kids and Nursery because, you know, this is a time of year where we want to really allow the volunteers to come in and enjoy Christmas service together. The nursery and the commons will be open if you need to, you know, change your child or, you know, just get a little bit fussy. You can... Uh, head into the commons, but it's going to be a family service. And then afterwards, we're going to do a, a wonderful Christmas cookie, eggnog, et cetera, et cetera, spread out there. And so, uh, you know, you guys are really good at fellowshipping, and most of the year we get donuts and cheese. And so we thought, you know what, Christmas Eve, let's do it up. Let's do it right. Amen. Right? We're going to, we're going to do Christmas cookies and all of that. And so uh, we're looking forward to next uh, next Sunday. And also, uh, we are going to do a little bit of a different service. You know, on Christmas Eve, we like to do candles where we pass out candles and we light them as we sing a silent night. And traditionally, we do that at night. And so uh, we're actually going to black out the windows and we're going to make it pretty dark in here. So we're still going to be able to experience our traditional candlelight uh, service that I know many of you look forward to. All right. So procrastinators, how many have yet to finish Christmas shopping. Come on. Okay. I just, I just wanted to feel in good company. That's all. I'm definitely a 23rd, 24th kind of guy, you know, 
because frankly, thank, thankfully to my lovely wife, I don't have to do a whole lot. But yeah, 23rd, 24th, I'm out there with all the other crazy dads or whoever's. Maybe some of you. I may see some of you out there. But uh, all right. So um, during the Advent season, as you well know, um, we have been having a series of messages on some key words, key terms. You hear them talked about every time that one of the Advent candles is uh, lit. And these are some of the just kind of core characteristics, attributes of God, uh, love, hope. And today we're going to be talking about peace. Um, So the first week, Richie uh, talked to us about love. And he used Ephesians 3 as uh, part of Paul's prayer to the Ephesian church. And this is what Ephesians 3 says that Richie talked about. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Richie, a couple of weeks ago, reminded us that God's love, that agape love, that unique, specific love that comes from God, um, is really self-sacrificial that it's really got nothing to do, it's not about us, it's really about others. It's about self-sacrifice. And the ultimate example of that self-sacrificial agape love was our Lord, was Jesus Christ, who came to earth, who chose to obey his Father to come to this world as the Son of God. And he came for one reason, and that reason was to die. That reason was to take our sin, to love us that much that he sacrificed his love, to restore our relationship of love with our Father. Um, Richie also talked about uh, the many different types of experiences that each one of us have had with love. Um, Some of us had perhaps a a really loving earthly father. Um, I was not particularly in that camp. Some of us didn't. Some of us had a really challenging relationship with our fathers and perhaps even worse. But that has an influence on how we view God. We had different experiences. Some of us have really just been blessed with loving relationships in our lives, in family, in friends, and those around us. And some honestly have not. Some have grown up with just really brutal you know, experiences as it relates to what was supposed to be love. I mean, that's just how, unfortunately, this broken world works. Um, for a whole host of reasons, some of us feel unworthy of God's love. We just feel like we have to, we're either unworthy of it or we have to earn it. But the good news that Richie was talking about is that none of that matters because God has expressed his truest love, his complete love to us. The Christmas, that Christmas itself is a love story, that the incarnation is a love story because of Christ coming to heal, to save, and to restore. Last week, Randy talked to us about the amazing hope that we have in Jesus Christ. He talked about the fact that that hope is based on two facts. One is that Jesus came, he was born, he lived, he died, and he rose from the dead. And that those of us who put our faith in that reality, in those facts, can in fact have our sins forgiven. And that is a hope for this life, 
a hope for this world, and a hope for eternity. Again, restoring a loving relationship for you and for me with our Father. And the second fact that Randy talked about was his ultimate second coming. What a hope we have that this world, as wonderful as it can be and as hard as it can be, that we have a hope for an eternity because we have put our faith in a new heaven and a new earth. And that our experience of hope, Randy kind of wrapped up with, is based on our abiding in Christ, our living our lives on a daily basis, just walking in the spirit and abiding in him. So this week, we're going to look at the third word, peace. Um, That's going to be the focus of what we're going to be doing today. And we're going to break it down into three questions. The first question is, what exactly is peace? And we're going to look at what the answer to that is. Second question, what does peace actually look like? How does it manifest itself? What does it look like in, our, in, our, in the world around us in life today? And the third question is, how do we get the peace of God for those, who love, for those of us who love, the peace that God offers for those of us who love and follow him? So we're going to start with the first question, what exactly is peace? And we're going to start by looking at this encounter that is uh, uh, talked about in Luke 2, that the shepherds had with some angels. And um, actually, I don't know if you, if you guys saw, you know, kind of the new screen background that, you know, they have. I really like it, Jordan. I don't know who came up with that. But to me, it is just kind of like this. It's a combination, frankly, of holy heavenly light that's kind of swirling on the screen and, and Star Wars. You know, it's kind of like... <laughs> I, I go back and forth in my mind between the two. But it's, look at that. It's not like a totally cool screen or, or what, you know. Okay, so Luke 2 says this. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, that's what that, that screen looks like, shone around them, and they were terrified for good reason. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, because today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a company, a great company, a multitude of the heavenly host appeared with that angel who had just made that announcement, and they were praising God. And they were saying, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest. And they said it over and over again. And on peace on earth, peace on those to whom his God's favor rests. Now that was a crazy experience. I mean, God, they really, these guys are just out in the field kind of doing their thing. And all of a sudden an angel appears to them. That's frightening and not itself enough. And then all of a sudden there's like thousands of angels that are, are saying these things. So what's going on here? So nine months earlier, an angel had appeared to Mary and had told her that she would be impregnated by the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would come upon her and she would have a child, and his name was to be called Jesus, and that that boy, that Jesus, would be the Messiah, the Messiah that the Jews had been longing for 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 thousands of years. He would be the chosen one, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world. So now fast forward nine months to out in this field, sheep, shepherds, nighttime, angels. Jesus had just been born. And the angel comes, makes this announcement to the group of shepherds. And then, like I said, thousands of angels 
show up and they just are saying, glory to God in the highest, glory to God, because they know what's going on. They know what just happened. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on those whom his favor rests. So what's happening here? So the Messiah had been prophesied in Jewish, you know, in scripture for thousands of years, and he had just been born. And what the angels are saying, there are two things that are going to be happening because of this event that just took place. Number one is that God is going to be glorified in and through the baby Jesus. That's why the angels are saying glory to God. They know what's going to happen. They know where this is all headed, and they know that God is going to be glorified by this baby that was just born. That's number one. And two is that they know that there is going to be peace. These are the two things that they said, glory to God and on the earth, peace, peace to those on whom God, his favor rests. So what exactly is the nature of this peace that the angels are proclaiming? Perhaps it's peace in the world. The Jews certainly could have, uh, <laughs> could have used some. You, you look at, seriously, look at the world in the day that Jesus was born. The brutal Roman Empire was at the apex, a thousand-year empire was at the apex of brutality, the apex of their power. They had taken over most of the known Western world, and it wasn't a pretty picture. And living in, you know, Jerusalem, in Judea, was an awful place to live under the thumb of the Roman Empire. It wasn't pleasant. The Jews were oppressed. There was little to no peace in their world. And they looked forward to the coming Messiah. And so you could understand how maybe they would think, oh my gosh, this is going to bring peace to our world. They're going to overthrow the Romans. There's going to be peace again in the world among tribes and among nations and all that kind of stuff. The Jews could have very rightfully thought that. Um, I grew up in the 1960s. I was a hippie. There you go. The guys in the bridge today, were, they, wa they, they want me to grow my hair again. And I said, nah, I'm not doing it because my wife, no, we're not, not going there. But back in the 60s, there was also a symbol that uh, was endemic back in that day. How many of you guys, seriously, kind of remember you had T-shirts that had this on it, it was on your car, whatever you did, peace. I mean, this is really, in the 60s, this was a prevalent, common, if you look at this, you know that that, yeah, that came from psychedelic back in the 60s kind of a thing. Um, you know, but really, in those days, there were cultural revolutions taking place in our country and all over the world. There were literally wars that were being fought. The Vietnam War was in the, you know, full, and there were things going on all over the world, and rock and roll music had just come into its own. So all sorts of, you know, just kind of turbulent things going on in the 60s. And there was really a legitimate and understandable desire for peace in the 60s. You know, peace and love and all that kind of stuff. It was for real. People really wanted that, um, you know, for, for good reason. And we see the same in the world today. I mean, honestly, just look at our world today. There is so much just horror going on in different parts of the world. Why can't we all just get along? All we need is love. 
Um, there is so much animosity, so much division in the world today that we live in. It happened back in the Roman Empire. It happened in the 60s. It was going on today in our world. Peace is honestly pretty hard to find. So the lack of and the desire for peace have been characteristic of every culture in every era of human history. The reality is humans are created in God's image. Even if someone is not saved, they have elements of the attributes of God in each one of our being because all humans have been created in his image. The longing for peace is real because it's a reflection of something that God has put in each of us desiring peace. But is that peace that the Jews longed for, the peace that we longed for in the 60s, the peace that today people long for, is that the peace that the angels were talking about? When they came and said, glory to God and on earth peace, was it peace in, among nations and tribes and worlds and that kind of stuff? I think, unfortunately, we have to say it's not because you look back for thousands of years and even in today, it just isn't there. Humans, every one of us, while we act, I'm sorry, while we are in fact created in God's image, we were also born into sin. That's what the Bible teaches us. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Mark 13 says this, And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are, are but the beginning of the birth pains. So based on the fact that the Bible teaches us and tells us, and frankly, I think all of our experiences would bear out the fact that we are born in sin, and that Jesus tells us that this world this fallen world will be riddled with evil and wars and disasters and selfishness. We have to conclude that the peace that the angels were announcing and pronouncing is not peace in the world. So maybe it's personal peace. Maybe that's what the angels were talking about. Just peace in my life, in my heart, in my mind, in my circumstances. Maybe that is the peace that the angels were pronouncing. Um, again, it's a very legitimate desire a God-created desire for that type of peace. But Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered. He's talking to his immediate disciples, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone for the Father is with, with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He's talking to his disciples in the world you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This was just before his crucifixion. He's talking to his boys. He's talking to the 12 whom he had lived with and ministered with and for three years. They were close. They had had during those three years a lot of challenging experiences. There had been a lot of opposition to Jesus and even to the disciples. Jesus was now explaining to them what is about to happen that he was about to die, that he would rise from the dead, that he would ascend to the Father, and that the Holy Spirit would come and indwell them. He also made it crystal clear to them 
to these 12 that their lives were not going to be easy, that they were going to face an enormous amount of difficulty and tribulation, that they themselves would be persecuted, that they themselves were going to eventually die because they preached the gospel of peace, the truth of Jesus. They would suffer greatly. They would lay down their lives for the one who is the way, the one who is the truth, and the one who is the life. The disciples did not live a peaceful life. That is not what the Lord Jesus, as the Son of God, for these men, he did not give them a peaceful life. But how about you and me? Maybe it's a little bit different for us. Is the tribulation that we have, do we have tribulation just even as believers, as followers of Christ? Fortunately, in the country that we live in, not a whole lot, not compared to a whole lot of other places on this earth today. But even in our country, it's getting more challenging. There is more opposition and more churn around the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ and everything that that means. Um, But apart from that, just by the fact that we are Christians, there is just problem and tribulation and challenge every day in life. There are just dishonest people and leaders that we run into and have to contend with. There are broken relationships, broken families, difficulty in those arenas. We have se- there is selfishness and greed that we run into every day, whether it's in ourselves or in people that we interact with. There's drugs, there's alcohol, there's a materialistic society that we live in where individual desires are, are trump the needs and desires of others. We live in, a, in a, a time of discord, of hatred towards anybody who doesn't agree with whatever you believe. The list of what causes tribulation in our lives today goes on and on. And I don't think any of us are, you know, would say, I live a life free of tribulation you know, with perfect peace in my life. So again, based on this fact in the Bible that, that we are born into sin, that we can't count on personal peace, that can't be what the angels were talking about when they were saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. He wasn't, they weren't talking about our personal peace. So it's not peace in between nations and tribes. It's not personal peace in our own lives and our circumstances. So what in the world were the angels talking about? So Paul answers the question for us in Romans 5.1. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace that the angels were proclaiming, that they were singing about, that they were shouting about, the peace that God wants to give us, give you, give me, those of us who believe, is peace with God. That is the peace that the angels were so excited about, knew that that peace with God is going to bring glory to him, that that peace with God can, in fact, bring peace to the earth. It's taking a broken relationship that we have with the God of creation, the God of the universe, and making it whole again. It's restoring a a relationship of love, a relationship of joy, a relationship of peace with the invisible, the almighty, the righteous, the holy God. That was the, the good news. That was what the angels, the peace that they were talking about. This baby who was born that night, this Jesus, He would grow up and ultimately become the Lamb of God, and he would lay down his life intentionally, deliberately, willingly to be crucified, brutally crucified, to take on himself the sins of the world. He would rise 
to provide eternal salvation. This baby was born. He was, in fact, the Prince of Peace to give you and me peace with God. That was the pronouncement of those angels. In John 14, 27, Jesus tells us this. He says to the disciples right before he is about to be crucified, peace I leave with you. This is one of his final messages to the people around him, to the men who had followed him, the men who were going to be sacrificing their lives over decades to to preach this gospel of peace. Peace I leave with you, but not just that. My peace I I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. It's my peace that I am giving to you. Um, This peace, and I, I want you to just stop and think about this. This is Jesus, a man, a human being, perfect, yes, but it's still a human being, felt emotions and was, you know, went through all the same things that we did, yet without sin, but he was a human being, he was a man, and he was also the son of God. But this human being, Jesus Christ, had a relationship with his father every moment of every second of every day that he lived, and that relationship was a peaceful one complete, utter peace that he had, that man had with the living God. And what he's saying to his disciples is that my peace, the peace I have had for 33 years, that peace is what I'm giving to you. When I leave, when I die and the Holy Spirit comes and fills you, my peace, I'm giving it to you. That is amazing. Um couple of uh, just quotes, uh, one by Croft Pence. I like this. This is just kind of puts it real simple. No, peace, no God, no peace, N-O. N-O, P- N-O God, N-O peace. No God, K-N-O-W, no peace. Real simple. Um, J.I. Packer puts it this way. The peace of God is first and foremost peace with God. It is the state of affairs in which God, instead of being against us, is for us. No account of God's peace, which does not start here, can do other than mislead. So let's move on to the second question. Let me just get a little drink of water here. Okay, so we've talked, we understand what the peace is. It's peace with God. Second What does peace look like? We're going to answer this question in three different parts. First, the peace that we have with God, because of the peace that that he offers us, it's not temporary, and it is not based on our circumstances. It is not temporary. It is not based on our circumstances. Isaiah 54 says this, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Isaiah says again in chapter 26, you, the Lord, will keep him in perfect peace, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And a a great quote by Ray Stedman The peace of God is a peace no one can understand or explain, a peace that comes to us despite our circumstances, 
and which does not arise out of emotions or events. It is, quote, supernatural in origin and nature. Can there be anything more relevant to the trouble and anxiety of this world than the peace of God? So I want to just kind of share a personal experience, how I kind of had to come to terms and learn how to trust God and to enter into this peace. Um, it has to do with the uh, 25 plus years that I've been leading mission trips. Um, back in 2011, I went down to Haiti for the first time. 2012, I started taking teams down to Haiti. Um, and frankly, I worried a lot about those trips. Haiti is a, a, a difficult country to be in and to go to and to serve in. Um, it was challenging to, it took a lot of money to go there and it was, took some convincing to get people to go. And so I honestly worried, I literally worried, is there going to be enough money? Are we going to be able to raise enough money? Are there going to be people to go? Only one person, only two people have signed up. I really worried a lot about that. And to his credit, my good friend Doug Ellis, who is the pastor of the church that we went to, the Orchard Church in Virginia, he challenged me to trust God, to trust God when I was worried a lot. Um, and how simple is that? You know, it's like, uh, duh, yeah, you know, like, mm -hmm, okay, I get it. You know? But sometimes it's not hard. I mean, I mean it is hard. Uh, it kind of sounds easy, is easy, but it's not, not easy sometimes. Um, but Doug's admonishment changed my heart. The Lord used his admonishment, his encouragement, honestly, to convict me because I was sinning. I had sin in my life, and my sin was I was not trusting God. God had asked me to do something, had told me to do something, and I was not trusting him to come through, to provide. That's sin. That was sin in my heart, and I had to come to terms with that and realize, you know what? I'm the problem, you know? And so the Lord changed my heart as it related to that. Um, my job was to simply do what he told me to do. God's job was to provide. And in all honesty, God has given me grace since 2012, to, well, maybe this was 2014 when I finally kind of got this in my heart, that I have been in utter peace about these mission trips that I lead. Just last week, we're having an elders meeting, and we're talking about the budget for 2024 uh, next year and mission trips and this kind of stuff. And uh, Richie kind of just brought up, he said, you know, back in June, uh, we were preparing for the trip in October, and I get up before all of you, and I say, we're going to Mexico in October. We're building two houses, and I need $28,000 to go down on this trip, you know? And I, I'm, I know the Lord's going to provide it. That's literally what I said, because I believe it. I know it. I have seen God do this over and over again. Last week, Richie says to me, like, dude, when you got up there and said that, I'm like thinking, like, is he crazy? Like, that's like a really big ask, you know? And Richie's sitting there like, dude, I'm going like, I got to see this, you know? And you're putting yourself out there like trusting God is going to do this, you know? And I said, yeah, I am because I, at least in this area of my life, I know what God does. I have seen him do it over and over and over again. And, and you know, Richie, and it's not a 
denigrating him at all. This is a man of faith. This is a man that I have watched countless times stretch and believe and trust. So it was not that at all. But again, sometimes we all just go like, whoa, look at that, man. <laughs> I want to see God do that one, you know, kind of a thing. So, uh, but again, you know, it just comes from uh, abandoning our hearts uh, to God. In Matthew 26, um, it talks about one of the key events in the final hours of Jesus' life. It says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful. And he was troubled. The man Jesus was sorrowful and troubled. And then he said, And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground. Then he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the son of God in Utter anguish, the perfect man, the sinless man, knowing what is about to happen in just a few hours. And he is asking his father, is there another way this can be done? Is there some other, is there, a, is there any other way? Because if there is, I, I'd appreciate it. I would really like to not have to go through what is about to happen to me, but... Father, my Father, my Father, not my will, but yours. That is what is important. That is what matters. His trust was in his Father. Um, Jesus was absolutely surrendered to his Father, and that is peace for him. He, in the middle of that anguish, had the peace that he could only get through total surrender to his father for what was about to happen, which is, you know, unthinkable. Watchman Nee has a real simple quote. He says, with complete consecration comes perfect peace. Consecration is just devotion, abandonment, surrender. With complete surrender, with complete abandonment, with complete devotion, with complete giving of everything that you are to the Lord, that is perfect peace. Francois Fenelon says this, resign every forbidden joy, restrain every wish that is not referred to God's will, banish all eager desires, all anxiety, banish it, desire only the will of God, seek him alone, Seek him supremely, and you will find peace. That is what peace looks like. Secondly, that was the fact that peace is not temporary, and peace... Um, can't remember what I, <laughs> it's not temporary, and it's not based on our circumstances. Secondly, God's peace is not something we have to attain or achieve in difficult times. It is a gift. A gift from God in times of trouble. John 14, 27 says this. We've read it already, but it applies here as well. Peace I leave with you, it's my peace. 
the peace that Jesus, the Son of God, had, that's what I'm giving you. I don't give you the peace, same peace that the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. And in John 6, it says, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the free gift of God, that is his remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to believers is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's a gift, nothing we have to work for. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way, the world bases its peace on its resources while God's peace depends on relationships. To be right with God means to enjoy the peace of God. The world depends on personal ability, but the Christian depends on spiritual adequacy in Christ. In the world, peace is something you hope for, you work for. But to the Christian, peace is God's wonderful gift received by faith. Unsaved people enjoy peace when there is an absence of trouble. Christians enjoy peace in spite of trials and trouble because of the presence of power, the Holy Spirit. People in the world walk by sight and depend on the externals, but Christians walk by faith and depend on the eternals. You know, there's a natural tendency in all of us uh, to work at, at, at peace, to strive for peace, to be anxious about not being at peace, but there's nothing that we can do. Just being in the presence of Jesus, that is the answer, that is the promise, that is the free gift, and it is his peace that we will find when we trust fully in him. And the third point is that God's peace brings both calm and disruption into our lives. And this is really kind of getting at the notion of shalom, the Hebrew word shalom. Um, that, that, me, that word is typically translated as peace. It's the word in when the angels came. It is talking about shalom. But it's not a shallow word at all. It's not like, hey, see you later. It's not, hey, have a great day, gotcha, you know, take care. It's not like that at all. Shalom doesn't mean to feel calm or be free of conflict. It has to do with the wholeness of all life. This is a quote from Tim Keller about what shalom is. Shalom is multidimensional, complete well-being. Physical, psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, within oneself, and with others. But the reality is that in order to have shalom with God, sometimes we need to experience the lack of it. Um, in order to have shalom with God himself, we need to at times recognize our own sinfulness that brings disruption into our lives. We need to repent of it and choose to follow God. In order to have shalom with others, some, we need to do away with our own judgmentalism, our own selfishness, our own pride that can really disrupt our lives when we are in that, that space to have shalom in our interpersonal relationships. To have shalom within ourselves, we must recognize times that we worry and instead choose to steadfastly set our minds on Christ. It seems like a contradiction that both shalom can bring calm and disruption, but it does. Colossians 1 says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
God is reconciling all things to himself. And even though he's not finished with that work yet, for those of us who believe in the gospel, we can experience the peace of God, but only in Christ. So how do we get peace? I want you right now, I want, in fact, I want everybody to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you right now to think about someone who loves you. Someone in your life who has a deep, a constant, a real, an unconditional love. Someone that you know would do anything for you in the world. They would care for you. They will protect you. They will help you. How do you feel when you just envision that person in your mind? How do you feel towards that person? Okay, you can open your eyes. When I think about somebody like that in my life, I am drawn to that person. I want to be around them. I, want, I feel safe in their presence. I feel confident. I feel peace because this person loves me. They love me. They would do anything for me, and I want to love them back. This is a true story. One morning in early 2014 in upstate New York, an eight-year-old boy, Tyler Duhan, woke up to find the mobile home the, uh, that he lived in with his family on fire. Instinctively, the first thing to do, especially for an eight-year-old child, would be to run and to get out and to be you know, trying to get somebody's attention. But for this little boy, Tyler Duhan, the story was different. He started running towards the fire in the mobile home to wake up everybody who was asleep. He managed to wake up six people in the trailer, in the mobile home, two of his younger siblings, and they got out. Then he went into the back to rescue his disabled grandfather, and Tyler, with his grandfather, perished in the fire. And when they, you know, kind of went through all the rubble, it was clear that Tyler was physically trying to lift his grandpa up and get him out of the fire. And he couldn't do it, and he died. This eight-year-old boy died trying to save his grandpa. What a love that that little boy had for his family. He ended up sacrificing his own life because of the love of his family. In John 15... Jesus tells us, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Well, that's what Jesus did. Jesus, the Son of God, laid down his life, a brutal, horrible death, and he did it for you, literally you. When he was hanging on that cross, he knew you. He saw you. He knew you personally, and he did this with your face in his mind. He opened the way for you and me, despite all our sin, to forgive us, to open that door to salvation, to restore our relationship with Father. So if you think back to that human being that loves you, that human being, as wonderful as that is, that relationship, can't possibly love you anywhere near like God loves you, like Jesus loves you. That love is worth sacrificing. So how do we experience peace with God, the first thing is love Jesus. Love Jesus because he loves you, because he gave his life for you. Love him back. Love him more than anything in your life in this world. Second, love the Bible. Richie did a great job three weeks ago of uh, just telling us how to use the Bible effectively, and I'm just going to remind you because I really took some of these things home and literally did them. 
He said, first, let the Bible, the, the truth of God's word dwell richly in your heart. Let it make its home in you. Spend time with it. Spend time in it. Second, memorization. Commit yourself. Make a choice. Make a decision to commit yourself to memorizing scripture. Fill your mind with the truth. And thirdly, meditate on it. Think about it. Dwell on it. He used the example of, you know, cows and the whole crazy system they have, you know, to chew on grass and goes up and down and up and down for the purpose of getting everything they can out of that grass to get all the nutrients. Do that with scripture. Think a lot about what you read. Study it. Discuss it with friends. Love scripture. Love the Bible. So love Jesus. Love the Bible. And third, pray. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6 to 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is no question a direct relationship between prayer and peace with God. When we pray with thanksgiving, we won't be anxious. We will experience God's peace, peace that surpasses understanding and that will guard our hearts. Um, so I want to I <clears throat> tell you a story, and I'm going to cry while I tell you this story. <clears throat> and, uh, and I have permission to tell this story. So um, a lot of you know uh, the journey that Kim and Bill Burr have been on. Um, Kim was diagnosed with a, an aggressive form of breast cancer four years ago. And uh, she has been an absolute warrior, that woman has in her life, in fighting this vicious disease. And she's had a lot of success in maintaining activity and strength and a pain-free life for most of these four years until recently. As the cancer has spread throughout her body a lot, she has increasingly felt the horrible impacts of pain and fatigue and diminishing capabilities. That's what's going on right now. Um, a little over a week ago, a week and a half ago, uh, my wife felt, <laughs> felt the Lord's prompting on her heart to gather the elders and to go pray for Kim, to anoint her with oil, to pray and lay hands on her, just like it tells us in James 5. James 5 says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So last Thursday, we did that. Last Thursday of last week, all the elders and all their wives, we went over to Kim's house and we got her in the middle and we laid hands on her and we anointed her with oil and we prayed for her. And it was a powerful, God-filled experience for everyone. Kim shared with me after that, a couple of days after I was talking to her, she was absolutely transformed that, that evening. It was a transformational experience for her. She came to understand that during our time together, that in God's sovereignty, he may choose to heal her and he may not choose to heal her. But what was so transformative to Kim 
is that she knew his perfect peace. Regardless of what the outcome was going to be, she knew the peace of God. His, his plan is perfect, is good, is loving. But at the time of prayer, she was absolutely overwhelmed and flooded by the tangible sense of God's presence. Kim just decided and put her faith in Christ not that long ago, six months ago, whatever, I forget. But she's a brand new believer. She's been around us. She's been part of the family for so long, and she had her own journey going on in her mind and her heart for a long, long time. But she just made a commitment to follow Christ just recently. And she just struggled, frankly, even with feeling anything in this relationship. And last Thursday night, she was transported supernaturally into the presence and the peace of God. A peace that surpasses all understanding. And Kim, (laughs) I know you're watching, and I want to say something to you. That, um, that your life, Kim, your entire life, every moment of your life, as a child, as an adult, your marriage, coming to Christ, every moment of your life, Tim, is a testi- Kim, I'm sorry, is a testimony. It's a testimony to the glory of God. It's a testimony to the power and the peace of God. And you deserve the peace that God flooded you with the other night. So, number one, love Jesus. Number two, love the Bible. Number three, pray. Lastly, walk in the Spirit. John 14 says this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Romans 8 says this, for those who have lived according to to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And lastly, Galatians 5, but I say, I say to you, walk, in, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Holy Spirit's role to glorify Jesus. That's why he came, to glorify Jesus, the Son of God, as well as to teach us, you and me, to remind us of everything that Jesus said and to be the agent of transformation in our lives, making us more and more like Jesus every day. So finally, how do you get to the peace of God that only comes because of peace with God? You put your faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's, all, it's always a one-word answer. It's Jesus. Well, to have it, You need to believe in him. You need to put your faith in the Son of God to love Jesus more than anything in this world, to love Scripture, to pray to your loving Father, and to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be uh, shifting over to communion band. If you guys want to come up now, that'd be great. Um, You know, during the Christmas season, the Christmas songs, I tell you, some of the lyrics in some of the Christmas songs are just mind-blowing. They're amazing. They're awesome. And I'm just going to read because, and we're going to actually listen to this while you're taking communion, but I want to read you just two of the stanzas or two of the verses out of the, uh, of Oh Holy Night. Just listen to this. Oh Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It's the night 
of our dear Savior's birth, long lay this world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, fall down before this God, before this baby. Oh, hear the angel voices, O oh, night divine, O oh, night when Christ was born. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. Richie talked about the fact that Christmas is a love story. It is. He was right. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus, it all had to happen. It had to happen so he could go to the cross. It had to happen so that we can be forgiven of our sin. It had to happen. He had to be born for all that was going to come uh, to happen. This is the gospel. If you have never put your faith in Christ, if you're sitting here Now's the time you can do that. You just need to ask him, Lord, I, I, I want you as my savior. I want you in my life. I know you love me. Please come and be my Lord, be my savior. His gospel is peace. That is why we celebrate communion. C.S. Lewis says, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There simply is no such thing apart from God. So don't look for peace anywhere else than in Jesus, in his blood, in his broken body. So as you take the bread and the juice today, remember what Jesus did. Confess your sins. He'll forgive you. Whatever's going on in your life, forgive. He will forgive you. Get right with God. Experience the joy and peace he so desperately wants for you because he died to make it all possible. Just a few announcements today. Hello, good morning. Sorry, I'm going to move this real quick. Um, we just have one youth announcement. It is coming down to Christmas. And we're going to have our Christmas party for the youth, 6th through 12th graders, this Wednesday from 6 to 8 We'll be here at the well, so we're not going to have normal youth group. Um, so we're going to have lots of fun. We may turn this into a, a winter wonderland with some AC. I know it's not normal for uh, that in the wintertime, but, you know, youth do crazy things. Um, and so do the youth leaders. So uh, if you haven't signed up yet, you can you know, come to me. A lot have signed up already. You can also sign up online uh, on our website. Go to the events page. You'll see it there. Um, and I encourage you, you know, students invite friends. Uh, it's a great opportunity for them to come and just have a really good community. You know, we have that here uh, on Sundays and during the week. And it's also great for students uh, in the Valley to have that as well. So look forward to that this Wednesday. Um, and just another reminder, we won't be meeting for youth t uh, two weeks after that. So we'll meet again in the new year, I think on the 10th. Um, but 
so we'll have a nice two-week break, um, and we'll see you all in the new year after our Christmas party. Thank you. Okay, and then last week we shared about um, the Rhodes family in Capswar, Kenya, and that we are supporting them by providing some items off of an Amazon wish list that they have created. Um, and I just want to thank many of you who have already donated. It's been amazing. Um, I know Layla is so thankful. It's been awesome. We've gotten things um, sent to our house, and there are items in the commons. So we just want to thank you so much. Um, and if you still want to donate, you can scan the QR codes to see their Christmas lists, or you can go on our website, and there's a link there. Um, and if you just want to bring items by next Sunday, that'd be awesome. So thank you again. And finally, next Sunday is Christmas Eve, all right? And uh, we're going to have one service, 10 a.m., so this service. And uh, we have printed. Kim did a great job. She made some flyers. Uh, if you want to, you know, sometimes it's a great opportunity to invite people. Uh, you know, there are uh, a good amount of people that will come out to a Christmas Eve service. And so if you would like to take some of these and hand them out to family and friends this week, that would be great. Uh, parents, we just want to let you know uh, your kids are going to be in here. Uh, there will be no uh, Kingdom Kids and Nursery because, you know, this is a time of year where we want to really allow the volunteers to come in and enjoy Christmas service together. The nursery and the commons will be open if you need to, you know, change your child or, you know, just get a little bit fussy. You can uh, head into the commons. But it's going to be a family service. And then afterwards, we're going to do a, a wonderful Christmas cookie, eggnog, etc., etc. spread out there. And so, uh, you know, you guys are really good at fellowshipping. And most of the year we get donuts and cheese. And so we thought, you know what, Christmas Eve, let's do it up. Let's do it right. Amen. Right? We're going we're gonna to do Christmas cookies and all of that. And so uh, we're looking forward to next, uh, next Sunday. And also, uh, we are going to do a little bit of a different service. You know, on Christmas Eve, we like to do candles where we pass out candles and we light them as we sing a Silent Night. And traditionally, we do that at night. And so uh, we're actually going to black out the windows and we're going to make it pretty dark in here. So we're still going to be able to experience our traditional candlelight uh, service that I know many of you look forward to.